All right, Amos chapter 4, verse number 1, and it reads as follows. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that lo, the day shall come upon you, that he will take away you with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks, and you shall go out at the breaches every cow at which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes every after three years, and offer sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. All right, let's pray before again today's verses and today's Sunday school. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have it to learn from and study from. Be with me as I try to speak your word, communicate your word, that your word may be a lesson to us all, that it be guiding into our lives. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue with our study of the book of Amos. And if you remember, the theme of the book of Amos, the thing that we keep going back to over and over again, the one-word summary that if you remember nothing else about Amos, you remember this, the theme is judgment. Judgment. The book of Amos is all about judgment. God's judgment, right? The overarching idea being that if you remembered God's judgment, if Israel had remembered God's judgment, if Judah had remembered God's judgment, they would have done things a lot better and done things right. Likewise, in our lives, the over overarching theme is that if we live a life that is guided and reminded by the constant, continuing monitoring of God, judgment of God, wouldn't that also guide our lives to act differently? No different than if you would imagine the policemen were following you around all day long, right? You would definitely drive your car differently. You'd definitely act differently in front of different people, right? You wouldn't be the same as if the policemen were not around. We know God is all around us, watching us all the time, standing in judgment of us all the time. We studied in the first two chapters the various judgments proclaimed against Gentile nations, against Judah and Israel for their various sins. Last time we started a new series of uh, chapters, a uh, different, little, slightly different theme. Started with chapter three, and then today chapter four, next time chapter four also, and then time after that chapters five and chapter six. That chapters three to six of the book of Amos contain three different kind of, I guess we call like kind of like speeches, three different, three separate messages. So one's chapter three, one's chapter four, one's chapter five and six, three separate messages. And again, these messages all relate to judgment. Last time we looked at it and we saw, we saw what? We saw, well, one theme that we talked about here where it talks about uh, what Israel, uh, Israel was going wrong, right? One thing they're doing wrong, we saw in chapter 3, verse 3, right? Talking about how can two walk together except they be agreed, right? There was a theory, series of rhetorical questions that God asked, right? And the answer should be obvious, right, if you really follow God. So things like that. That was the genesis, right? Can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no, right? 
that they couldn't be one with God, walking along with God, following God, if they're not agreeing on the same things. And what happened was Israel wanted to do it their way, worship their way, right? Uh, Live their way, and definitely not God's way. And so all these other rhetorical questions lead up to judgment, right? That this is the thing that is coming because they're not walking with God. Because they're not walking with God, what does it say? Verse 8, last time looked at, the lion roars, right? And all these things happened, right? That they would be, as it said in verse number 12 of chapter 3, it would be as if, you know, they'd be ripped up as if by a lion, where all that was left were two legs and a piece of an ear, right? That was the coming judgment for their inability to walk in the ways of the Lord. And we talked last time briefly about how important it is that people be agreed, right? We know in our own lives, we ought to be agreed with people, and it helps make things smoother when people are on the same page, right? And how much more so, how much important is it that we're on the same page when it comes to God, the things of God, right? Walking together, especially as you've heard us say many times before, in terms of the family life, right? We want to walk together with God. We want our whole family to walk together with God. It becomes difficult when, as Paul would later say in the New Testament, when we are unequally yoked, right? When you have one side of the family that doesn't care about God and doesn't do anything about God, another side that loves God, that invariably leads to conflict, right? And that is not the happy, prosperous, Christian family walking together, serving God that God wants, and said you can have a dispute. It only makes sense, right? If you don't believe in God, you would say, why would I want to give my money to God in the offering? That's a waste of money. It leads to argument, right? If you don't believe in God, you don't care about God, or any of that, you would say, why would I want to send my kids to church? I don't want them to learn this thing that I think is false, right? It leads to dispute, argument. It leads to people not serving, not believing in God. So that was last time talking about how can two walk together except they be agreed. We want to be agreed. We want to work together. Chapter 4 today. Chapter 4. A new message. And we'll start off with just a little bit. There's a lot of stuff in chapter 4, so we'll start off with the first five verses. And next time we'll finish chapter 4. I think that's all i got time for the first five verses. Starts off like this. Hear this word. And this is how we knew it was three different speeches, right? Chapter 3 started with hear this word. Chapter 4 started with hear this word. When we read chapter 5, again, we'll say hear this word, right? So this is the second hear this word. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan. What does kind mean? What does kind mean? Kind means cow. Cow. That's a translation. It means cow. You cows in Bashan, right? He's calling the people of Israel, you guys are like fat, lazy cows, right? What does it say that these cows do? It says in verse number one, they oppress the poor, crush the needy, right? If we remember way back in chapter two, when we read about the sin of Israel, remember that we talked about how like, oh, Israel, they sold the righteous for silver, right? And the poor for a pair of shoes. How they oppressed the poor, this is consistent with what we read previously, right? Now, this is the way they were treating people. And we talked about it already last time, right? That Israel became so self-centered. They didn't care about the needs of the poor, even if they were sympathetic or whatever. They said, I don't care. It's my money. Give me my money enough to sell you into slavery to get my money back. That was how 
heartless Israel was, how self-centered they were. And it shone through in their whole lives. Because if you're that self-centered in terms of your possessions, how much more so does it permeate everything in terms of what they're doing? In terms of things like also their relationship with God, right? Because when it, all that matters is making myself happy, making myself living the way I like, the thought doesn't turn to what is God like? What is God's message? How do I submit myself to him and how they him? No, 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 no. They're happy to, as it says in verse 1, crush the needy just to get their happiness, right? To sit around and say, bring and let us drink. Sit around and get drunk all day long, relax, have fun, right? But what does God say? Once again, judgment, verse 2. Verse 2. So you want to do that, Israel? You want to sit around, be like a lazy cow, get drunk, don't care about anyone else? The time is coming where God says this, that you'll be taken away with hooks and your prosperity with fish hooks, right? Something's going to happen to your country, you'll be taken away. And guess what? We've studied this already many times. I've talked about when we talk about our minor prophet series talk about how eventually we all know in terms of just from the historical record Israel was conquered right Israel was conquered and they were taken away the famous Babylonian captivity right and guess what guess what for those of you guys who are interested in history tidbits and fulfilled prophecy what were some of the things these uh, Assyrians were famous for well they're famous for taking away their captives how did they take away their captives how did they drag them out of their country well, according to history, they use hooks. They would hook up their prisoners and take them out of the country. And wouldn't you know, in verse number two, it says right here that they'll be taken away with hooks, your posterity with fish hooks. This is once again fulfilled prophecy in the Bible, fulfilled prophecy that when the Assyrians came in, when they took over this land, took over Israel and Judah, they took away the people all the way to Babylon. They did it by hooks. God's warning them. God's judgment was coming, and it was a real judgment. It really happened, right? But this is the way they were, right? Verse 3, it says that you shall go out the breaches, right? Every cow, every cow, and be cast into the palace, right? Dragged away to the enemy's palace, right? These cows, you want to be a lazy, fat, uncaring cow, you're going to be treated like a cow, dragged away by a hook, right? Just like a livestock. You know, you reap what you sow, as the old sayings go, right? This is what they wound up being like. The fat, lazy cow, and then treated like a fat, lazy cow, led away for their sin. And what kind of sin are we talking about this time? What kind of sin are we talking about this time? Well, we see something interesting here in verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 got some interesting stuff. And as we read it, it will sound kind of weird, but this is one of the times that God actually uses a bit of sarcasm when he writes here, right? A little bit of sarcasm here. It says, come to Bethel and transgress. Does God really want his people to transgress? Transgress means to do wrong. He's not saying, oh, come here and, and I want you guys all not to do wrong. He's being a little sarcastic here, right? Come to, grass, come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilead, multiply transgression. He's, saying, he's not saying, go here and do bad stuff and go there and do even more bad stuff. He's a little sarcastic. What does this mean? Because people back then would understand 
what he's talking about in theory if you knew what these places were. So let me try to explain to you what these places were. How is he being sarcastic here? Well, you guys know generally that back then in these Bible times, there was a temple, right? And people were supposed to worship in the temple. Which city was the temple located in? The temple was located in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was supposed to be the place of worship, right? You go to Jerusalem and you go do your worship and things like that. But what had happened? I think I may have talked about this before in one of our previous minor prophet studies. Talks about the, what happened was people, I guess they were lazy or they didn't care about God. They made their own places of worship. They made their place of worship in Bethel. They made a place of worship in Gilead. As we know, later on in Bethel, or at the time in Bethel, they also had a lot of idols in there. So not only did they make their place of worship supposedly for God, right, to make it more convenient for themselves, right, they also made it a place of idols. So instead of going to Jerusalem and worshiping God and doing like they're supposed to, they could be lazy and go to Bethel. And that's my worship of God instead, right? Or I can go to Gilead and be even more against God, right? I mean, at the very least, Bethel was a place that, you know, Jacob set up and there was some kind of connection to holiness or whatever, right? I'll go to Gilead, even, even more random place, right? And we don't worship there instead. Go there and transgress, right? Go there and go do that thing. That's what you guys are doing right now. He's saying this sarcastically to point out the wrong that Israel is doing, right? They're worshiping in the wrong place, right? How wrong are they? they? They're so wrong like this. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after for three years, right? They said that even if you bring your sacrifices every morning, it's still wrong. It's still wrong, right? Because you're not supposed to bring your sacrifices there. That's not what God said. God said you bring your sacrifices to the temple, Right, the holy temple. That's where you're supposed to bring these sacrifices. It's as if they were just doing it whatever they want, right? Like they bring their tithes and once every three years if they want. They're making up their own rules and doing it their way instead of being consistent, instead of following God's instructions, God's ways, right? How else were their sacrifices all messed up? Verse 5, verse 5. They're offering a sacrifice with what? A sacrifice with Leaven, with leaven. And you hear Nathan talk about this concept of leaven all the time, right? Leaven is yeast that they use to, uh, that people, you know, even today use to make bread and stuff like that. But yeast is, as we know, bacteria. is an infection, right? And this is when Nathan talks about every Lord's Supper, about how oh, it's supposed to be unleavened bread, right? Can't be infected with bacteria or whatever, right? Unleavened, because we know our God is pure, right? Free of bacteria, free of contamination. So these sacrifices they're bringing to God, they're full of leaven. They're unclean sacrifices, right? They're just being lazy once again. Instead of bringing a pure, holy sacrifice as commanded under the Old Testament law and complying with all these things, ah, we can bring the unclean sacrifice, the sacrifice full of leaven. That's the way Israel was doing it. Did not care. I don't care what Moses said back then about making all these clean sacrifices. It's a lot easier to do the unclean sacrifice. I bet that's what they were thinking, right? What else were they doing wrong with their sacrifices? It says also in verse number five, they proclaim and publish free offerings. Proclaim and publish 
free offerings. Folks, we know this about offering, even today, even in our own church. We just took the offering this morning, right? Offering is supposed to be of free will. Offering is supposed to be out of love, out of our obligation to give the tithe of God. But we know one thing it's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a proclamation of how great we are and all the things that we do. It's not something we proclaim and publish. No one around here looks in the offering plate and sees, oh, you gave $5, you gave $10. Who gave $100 is better than the one that gave $5. No one does that. In fact, some churches are even more extreme than we have. Like they're, they're so care about being anonymous, they won't even pass around the plate for fear that people see it. But they just put the offering like in a corner and you drop it in there so that no one can see. Because that's the way God wants it, right? God doesn't want to be boastful to say, aha, I gave 1,000, you're lame, you only gave 100, right? I gave 10,000, you only gave 1,000, whatever it is, right? God doesn't want that. Because then we're not doing it out of love for God, are we? Then our offerings become a self-aggrandizement. Oh, I'm doing this because it makes me look good. It's not about God. It's not about loving God. It's not about following his commandments. It's not about doing our duties. It's not about saying, this is what I give to you free and willing because of all the blessings you've given me. It's about making me feel good. It's about me getting the benefit. It's all about me. In fact, once again, isn't that Israel's problem? Once again, the self-centeredness of Israel. Self-centered to the point where they don't care about the poor and the needy. They'll step on them to get what they want. Self-centered to the point where even when they're trying to follow God, even when they're trying to do the sacrifices, they can't help themselves but to still be self-centered and to still say, oh, look at me. Let me proclaim my offerings. I'm giving the offering now. Give me the glory. No, 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 no. That's not what God teaches. God didn't teach that. Offerings are for him, his work, for his glory, not our own. That's why our offerings are anonymous. No one here knows how much you get. I guess except for Melvin, who keeps track of it for tax purposes to give you your <coughs> tax receipts at the end of the year. Otherwise, no one else knows. I wouldn't know if you gave uh, 5000 or $5 million, for all I know. I have no idea, right? And we don't do stuff like, like you see, like colleges. Like, oh, colleges, if you donate $5 million, we're going to name this building after you or whatever, right? This is now the whoever, right? Building at UC Berkeley or UC Davis or whatever. We don't do that here, right? Even if you gave five million, we would not name like this is the uh, Norman Lau Auditorium or whatever because that would be lifting up a human being. And this building, this church of God is about lifting up God. It shouldn't be about any one individual. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We know we should and we know we ought to but we also know that it's not for our glory. It's not for our benefit. They did all these things. And what does Amos explain from God? He explains in verse number five, For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. So here's back to the little bit of sarcasm when he said. So he explains all these things, right? All these things that you guys are doing. He says, guess what? I talk about all these things, but these are things actually that you guys like, right? You guys like them. Notice it doesn't say that God likes them, right? They are doing the worship the way they liked. What was easy for them, what was fun for them, the way they wanted it, but not the way God wanted it. 
and that was their problem. Folks, today we have the same problem. It's nothing new. It's something that's still out there, even today, that there are still people professing to say, yes, I believe in God, and I want to worship God, but not doing it God's way. They don't do it their way because it's easier, because it's more fun for them, right? Because it's more simple, because of whatever reason it is. Folks, we have a problem today in the Christian churches and God's churches of many churches that want to make things easier, right? Make it easier, make it convenient for their own way of doing things because the Bible is too hard. Some people don't even go to church, right? They say, I'm a Christian, but you know what? I show up to church on Christmas and Easter, and that's my life as a Christian. Going every Sunday, that's too hard. You know, I don't like it. I'm doing it my own way. You know, I have friends that do that, that they're, you know, you know, big holiday Christians or whatever, or there's, you know, whatever big event Christian only, right? They say this. They tell me things like this. They say, oh, you know, I have my own relationship with God. I'm doing it my own way. This is what they tell me, right? That, you know, I'm different. You know, you have your thing. You go to church every week. My relationship with God is different. Folks, that doesn't exist. There's only one way that God has explained his worship. That is in his house. There's no alternate method. There's no, I can sit at home on Sunday and I'll think about God for five minutes and that's all the same, right? There's no, oh, well, I prayed on Sunday and that's good enough, so that's all the same. God wants us to worship in his way. Otherwise, we're just making excuses for transgression. We might as well just say, go to Bethel, as they said, in the, as Amos said, go to Bethel, go to Gilgal, go worship whatever you want, right? Right? I'm sure some people out there say, I'm going to worship by going to Las Vegas and go gambling on Sunday or whatever. Right? That's my, you might as well be saying that if you're going to say, I'm not going to follow God. How much different is it in God's eyes? You're still not doing what he's saying. right? If you're saying, I don't care about worship. I don't care about honoring my God on his day as he commanded, even way back when in the Ten Commandments. right? People want to do it their way. They don't want to do it God's way. They don't want to pray. Every day, it's hard. I don't have time. I forget. They don't want to read the Bible. The Bible's not easy to read. It's a hard book. Isn't it easier to read, like you say, even like you see it like in other churches, isn't it easier to read like one of these like devotional books, right? There are some churches that instead of Sunday school studying the Bible, like we've done here for years and years and years, they say, oh, we're going to go buy this book from some author and it's going to give us inspiring words, and we're going to study this devotional book because it's easy to read, and it you know, has a good uh, lesson for us. And some churches do that, right? We're going to do our devotional book. That's our Sunday school, right? But you know, in the very end, no matter how good of an author this devotional book writer might be, those books are still the word of man not the Word of God, right? In church, we ought to be studying the Word of God. But again, people want to do it their way nowadays. Reading the Bible is hard. Understanding the Bible is hard. We're just going to gamble that this author, hopefully, is writing something in line with the Word of God because he's easier to read, right? And, you know, sometimes they gamble right and they get a good author, but, you know, you can also gamble wrong and the author's bad and writes stuff that's not in line with God and how do you know, Right? When you, when you put your faith in that, some devotional book, that's what you're doing. 
You're not putting your trust in God the way he wants us to, to study his word, to learn his word. But we want it to be easy nowadays. We don't want to follow God's way, the hard way. We don't want to do stuff like get people saved. That's hard, right? It's hard. You have to put yourself out there, make yourself vulnerable, right? That people could say, no, no, I don't want to come out to church. No, I don't want to believe in Jesus. No, I think that's weird. No, that's tough. So a lot of churches, they don't want to emphasize soul winning, right? They just want to emphasize being happy, right? We don't, we don't want to offend people, right? Telling people about Jesus might offend people. It makes it hard on them, right, to stand up and say, oh, friend, Mr. Muslim, you're going to hell. That's uncomfortable. Oh, that makes people angry. Oh, that makes people sad. We don't want to do that. Why don't we just be happy and be in our own church and have our own congregation and talk about God and Jesus amongst ourselves, and that's it, right? We're doing it our way. This is what makes us happy. But we're not doing what God wants, right? So many things in the modern church today. We see it. People compromise. Why do churches compromise on so many things nowadays? Because it's easier. We could take a stand against, you know, homosexuality. But that's so unpopular nowadays. We give up. We can make the homosexual even the pastor of our church. Why not? Why not have a homosexual pastor, right? There's some churches that accept that nowadays. Why? Because it's easier. It's easier. It's what they like, right? But it's not what God says. We're supposed to be set apart as a holy priesthood, separate and apart from the world. Yet, today, even among God's people, we find it a lot easier, much simpler to be like the old lazy cows of the time of Amos, right? But just think about ourselves. Wouldn't it be easier to do it this way? Wouldn't it be simpler to do it this way? I don't want to go all the way to Jerusalem. I'll stay here in Bethel and worship, right? I don't want to drive all the way to church. It's so far. I'll stay at home and worship, right? I don't want to have to give all these sacrifices and uh, offerings and stuff like those people said back then. I'll do it my own version of sacrifice and offering, right? People today, same thing. I don't want to tithe and give offerings to God. I want to take this money and go on vacation. I want to buy a car. I'm going to do whatever. Do it my way, my thing. God's critical of that. God doesn't want that. We do it God's way, God's thing. That was his criticism, and that's what leads to what we're saying next time, God's judgment. But we don't have time to look at that today. So let's end with the word of prayer right now. Dear God, thank you for the first couple of verses here in Amos. We saw what Israel was doing wrong once again. They were being self-centered. They were doing worship their own way, right? They didn't care where they are going to worship. They didn't care how they are giving offerings or whatever. Lord, we want to do worship your way. We want to follow your word. Do it the right way. Even if it's not easy. Even if it's not fun. Even if it's not convenient. God, we know it's more important to love you, to honor you, to do things your way. Thank you for your book of Amos that we can learn more and more lessons. And be with us the rest of the Sunday as we continue to honor and glorify you in worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.